Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just like that, the second hour is here. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Coming up in 20 minutes, the attorney for Kai Spears at Alabama. Stephen P. New will join us. Plus, Andrew Brandt in an hour with the latest opinion and analysis of the back and forth between the Packers, the Jets, and Aaron Rodgers in a potential trade. Will we get there already? Andrew will tell us the complications behind the scenes. He would know same time frame for when Brett Favre throughout his career was traded to the Jets and Rodgers took over. Now it's Jordan Love's offense and Andrew will join us in an hour and we'll get plenty of of discussion and talking points from the former front office guru for the Packers. She had a great weekend of of hoops and now we get the Iona fell out. Now we get the confirmation. Patino to St. John's and you and I both agree like this is a great fit. I know Georgetown was mentioned other other programs are floated out also, there. Also, by the way, Georgetown is now meeting with Ed Cooley from Providence, who got put out by Kentucky in the first round. There are reports are that he's taking the job. He's accepted the offer. He's yeah, put his home up for sale. Yeah, but it's not official apparently. But he's finalizing or he's meeting with Georgetown officials on it, which has sparked this big debate about what's the better job between Providence, St. John's, and Georgetown. I feel like Georgetown's the best of those jobs. If I had to rank them, I'd probably go Georgetown, Providence, St. John's in that order. But with Rick Pitino and his ties to Madison Square Garden in New York yeah. City, him now coaching again in Madison Square Garden at St. John's is the best opportunity for Rick Pitino. And Rick Pitino at St. John's makes St. John's the best program of those three. Well, it's also fit. Like, I, I think the best fit. It for Patino is St. John's if he's going to take a job like that. Um, he's the best coach. Cooley from Prov. I mean, Providence was. A, that's a great question, based on what you do if you're Ed Cooley. The reports are he's he's agreed to the terms. Uh, John Rothstein, Georgetown has hired Providence's Ed Cooley as his next head coach, as their next head coach. So that that is being uh, reported from uh, one of the best out there covering college basketball. He also says that Patino has agreed in principle to all things. If if Patino's presser is anywhere close to the way he stood uh, and answered questions about the different job opportunities while he was still uh, Iona's postseason head coach, we're in for a treat with Ricky P. Well, he joked about he's going to have to break out his navigation because it's been so long since he's been to New yeah, York. Or, or campus. But he was giddy. No, he was asked about it. He was Can't laughing. Can't wait to He's, see this campus. I don't even know where Queens is anymore. I'm going to have to break <laughs> out my navigation. He's giddy that he gets to go somewhere else and highlighted every conference he's coached in and dominated in before. This is a great get for St. John's. This is perfection. And he probably does have six to eight good years left, I think, to coach. Not on earth. I'm saying coaching. I don't want to make it like Rick Pitino's going to die in eight years. 
But I think he's got six to eight good years left. I didn't mean to pause that out. Six to eight good years left to coach. This is a terrific get for St. John's. I think he's going to – I think he will have them immediately, if not in the tournament in year one, relevant. I Relevant and, in year one when he's at St. John's. And the landscape now is perfect for Rick Patino. Yes. You know, the, the transfer portal, you want to get to the league – Go play for him for a year. I also think that anyone that has ever been in trouble with any type of recruiting enticements, this is the time to get back in the game. Yes. This is now is the time well, with NIL and everything else and the NCAA falling apart to where who cares? I think most of America, if you are the president or AD at a school, then you know who cares? Now we can get into Chris Beard and Nate Oates. I care more about that. Uh, and I would have some issues with that. Talking to Kentucky buddy yesterday, talking about what happens to John Calipari if he's gone at some point, who would Kentucky target? He said probably Musselman, but not Nate Oates because of everything going on this year at Alabama. Now, you can choose to believe that or not if Kentucky would probably – I think Kentucky would probably look past that, quite frankly, if they could hire Nate Oates to like be their head coach because of his success. But when it's other things, anything NCAA violation – Worthy, I think you clear the deck and don't care about those things right now. As long as you're at a basketball school, right? Yeah. And don't, look, don't it, say it, that to Mark I don't want to say Rick Pitino is just the, just the recruiting violations with his stuff at Louisville, but it's fine. If you want to hire Rick Pitino, you're fine. You're not going to face some big blowback. He's going to win. He's one of the best college basketball coaches ever. With the different places he's won. And look what he did at Iona. Yeah. Won a, I mean, I know they took it away. But won a national title at Louisville. Won a national title at, at Kentucky. Done it different places. Again, I think year one, he's going to step in there, bring in the right transfers. They're going to be a tournament team. And if not, they're going to be relevant in year one for a program that's been pretty bad. Well, and then by year three, how many teams get in the tournament? I mean, he's, he's, well, yeah. he'll have a tournament team. It'll, it'll um, be much that's less where meaningful expectations when he gets are, in year yeah. three. Those, that's where expectations are, though. And, and you get the right group. Look at Kansas State with the transfers. Uh, Arkansas and how they've turned things on uh, with what Musselman's done there, who's used to turning over rosters from his NBA days. And he's certainly great at just coaching a new team and getting guys to gel at the right time. What a great storyline there. And the reaction um, after that win for Arkansas against Kansas, uh, where the emotions were flowing based on how things have gone and how things have turned out, where they're now back in the Sweet 16. And, uh, you know, they joined Gonzaga as the team now that you expect to get there all the time. Musselman's, what, it was third straight based on what he's done? He's going He's going for his third straight Elite Eight. But he's, but if also, he wins this yeah, game. Yeah, so it's his third straight time reaching with Arkansas the, the Sweet 16. So... And he's doing it's, it without Nick Smith, who well, has just inexplicably disappeared and played like 12 minutes. And I don't think he scored against yeah, Kansas. But Musselman, uh, the, it's fascinating to me how the good coaches know when to take the guys out that are your horses. Yeah, it, it's, 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 the also, right, it, it's something to follow only because I know post-game he, that Nick Smith threw a big fit and went into the, the shower and cried after the game and yeah. threw things even after they won, disappointed that he didn't play, and he's been taken out of the rotation. Now, Eric Musselman's a good enough coach and smart enough to know what to tweak and what to do in these situations, so he's done that. 
But that's, again, just watch. That can really tear a team apart. It, it may not matter with Arkansas, but if Nick Smith, who is this great lottery pick type talent, is taken away and he's unhappy with his role and can't get going with the team, maybe maybe that's something that could affect Arkansas. Yeah, hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick 360. Um, and, and in regards to Arkansas, last year they take down Gonzaga. This year they take down Kansas. And yeah, three, on their way to three straight Elite Eights. Under 500 in SEC play. And now we're seeing this version of the Razorbacks with two uh, lottery picks coming up in the NBA draft most likely. Just a quick PSA. Because everyone's going to talk about, well, this conference sucked and they're overrated and this conference great because they yeah, have more teams than Sweet 16. Results. I wouldn't go that far. I, it does tell you something. I'm not saying to discount NCAA tournament results, obviously. But let's not go too far. We won't on this show. Let's not go too far with it. Well, the Big Ten sucks because they got one team in. And I think what it shows you more than anything is style. Mm. I'll give you an example. The ACC was soft this year. The ACC was not very good. We knew that by the amount of teams in the tournament. And the seeding they got there. And I think the Tennessee-Duke situation showed that. The SEC is hard. They play physical. They have athletes. They get after you. I think we saw some of that with Arkansas, with Alabama, with Tennessee over the weekend. Now, again, that I'm talking about contrasting styles. I'm not saying the Big Ten was a terrible league this year. They weren't. I'm not maybe the Pac-12 was in hindsight, but it's not just the equivalent of well they got put out in the first two rounds that conference must have been bad all year. It's not that simple. But with the Big Ten, I think they're a good conference. I think they're not as good as the SEC this year, but they're always going to be right there. A lot of talk about well will the NCAA selection committee finally admit their mistake and stop putting so many Big Ten teams in? I don't think that outcome in the tournament will ultimately determine that. As much as who you play during the regular season, what you look like. Chad, uh, Penny Hardaway, he's not pleased with how Memphis bowed out in this tournament. I, I thought the Tigers had the, had the talent and, quite frankly, the coach to make a run with how he had this team playing against Houston uh, most recently. And instead, Florida Atlantic, they go toe-to-toe and Hardaway seen throwing the water bottle at the end of the game, tossing it forward and they're moving on to the off season where again Hardaway trying to meet expectations of the Memphis lore that he left whenever he went to the NBA he's brought it back to this point but it's not as far along as I thought it would be in 2023 let's show the, the photo the still shot of that water bottle toss one more time and let me give a little advice to Penny Hardaway who was a professional athlete at the highest realm of the sport at one point. The man had Chris Rock cutting commercials for him as Lil Penny at one point in his career. Yep. This looks like Tom Cruise in the first Top Gun when some production assistant had to explain to him how to throw his dog tags off of the aircraft carrier. That's what it looks like. It looks like someone had to show Penny Hardaway how to throw a water bottle. If we could show it in real time in the actual video, you would see that my only thing I can say about Penny is maybe it was so full <laughs> that it caused, or the weight was off balance, <laughs> that it caused his wrist no way. to go back in a certain way that made it look like he didn't know how to throw something. The other thing is maybe he got halfway into a huge water bottle chuck and said, you know, there's civilians over there. I probably shouldn't throw this thing as hard as I want to. And maybe he showed a little bit of restraint and some good <laughs> judgment and just barely tossing it. But that was the weakest water bottle throw 
for a guy that angry that I've ever seen. We saw Tom Izzo break the clipboard hey. at one point. That was a that was a baller move by Izzo, Mr. March. This was a bad look for Penny Hardaway. How about the guys he getting into like it on a, the bench? He looked like a pouting baby walking off the court also. Just his facial expression, the way he walked off the court. I give guys some grace when you lose in dramatic fashion like this, the way they did. By the way, we're really close to a Rick Barnes, Penny Hardaway Sweet 16 showdown. Had they not lost virtually at the buzzer against Florida Atlantic in that game, they would have beaten a fairly Dickinson in round two also. Um, the fight on the bench was nuts. I'm watching that game live. I, you don't see that. It's one of those where I feel yeah. like I'm, you know, you sometimes you're watching a big sporting event live and you go to social media, but you feel like you're the only one watching a certain game. I felt like at With that hour, I was the only one watching it because no one was talking about two Memphis guys just brawling on the bench. And Kendrick Dandridge. Davis came to the sideline and went after Malcolm Dandridge. Yeah. And I, the sideline reporter said this was like a 90 second standoff like what you saw on camera it did not end there they had to be separated and Penny Hardaway barely said anything to either guy and didn't step up I, I think that's it speaks I, to their culture well yeah I mean I think that's kind of the routine with what they've done there Dandridge has been there a while too it speaks it speaks to their culture and I don't say that as a compliment yeah quite frankly and so I does mean, the water bottle toss you cannot cannot in any game but especially in the NCAA tournament with, I think there were three minutes left in the game at that point. Have your star player and your most veteran guy down low get into a shoving match and shouting match that way and not have someone defuse it. you got to have an assistant take the guy who's being completely out of control to the locker room for a minute to cool down and come back out. you got to do something to stop that. That cannot happen in that moment. I think it showed a lack of maturity with Memphis. I think the Penny Hardaway water bottle toss – showed a big-time lack of maturity. We've seen it with Penny Hardaway for a while. It's funny how these things and these critiques go away when a guy wins, and he's won more this year. Yeah. Great job bringing in SMU transfer Kendrick Davis, who was one of the leading scorers in the country. But when things got tough for Penny Hardaway, he showed his true side again. And I, I'm not a Penny Hardaway hater, but well, he's shown this bit of immaturity, that, it is that petulant child-type mentality. But that's kind of the – I mean, that's the vibe of the entire program, right? Like the, it, the chip-on-the-shoulder, us-against-everyone mentality. Like uh, build the, the, the fence around Memphis and everyone with us is with us, and if you're not in, we're coming for you. And, you know, it, they want to make this a, a, a fight. And the, the way they get after it in practice, I'm sure, uh, things have gone down a lot worse – and, again, what we saw, and Chad, I'm with you, what I saw was a way bigger deal than what it was made uh, in the moment, especially the timing of the game. And you don't see it at this point, right? You may see it in a, a conference game in uh, early January. You don't see it in March like this. And ultimately, that's their demise early in the tournament. Well, and I, you don't see it in March because typically coaches have a better handle on their guys and their program but even than what if we saw with Penny Hardaway. But even if you have the, the two five-stars and the, the lottery pick against the guy who's the, the up-and-comer, you still don't see that. And if it does happen, it happens behind the scenes, not on the bench, uh, in prime time against a, a team that you should be beating, after, especially after the way they played against Houston uh, a week ago. At Outkick360 is where you can find us. Stephen P. New is going to join us. He's the attorney for Kai Spears. The New York Times, uh, with the report last week, that was... Instantly denied by 
four different people or personnel within the athletic department by the University of Alabama. And Kai Spears, according to the New York Times, and they're standing by their reporter, allegedly is in the passenger seat with Brandon Miller, who brought the weapon to the scene of a murder, where two others, including a former Bama player, is charged with capital murder. And the Spears family, the attorney, Spears himself, and the university are all saying he wasn't there and they can prove it. His attorney joins us next, and we'll ask him how they plan on doing so and why they haven't done it yet. This is Outkick 360. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Outkick 360 rolls on. So, I really enjoyed Charles Barkley this weekend, Chad. I know we had the discussion last week about, you know, the TNT crossover with CBS and if not for TNT coming in and helping out uh, with the, the, the monetary adjustment that was needed to keep the tournament, I think we, we would see this tournament through ESPN. And TNT came in and split this with CBS, and now we see more of Barkley, but then also others, <laughs> which is a bit overkill with all the different studios and the consistency of it. But um, I, I think Barkley has seen quite a bit of some of these teams because we've seen quite a bit of the SEC and the Big Ten represented through the last the first two weeks and plenty of storylines with that um, it's not hard for him to watch a game and think man it here's what happened here's how Princeton dominated the boards against Missouri because he's probably seen Missouri against Auburn well I, I think the way they use him too and this is I, look I love Charles Barkley so I'm never going to be upset when he's a part of anything but we, we posed the question about, is it right to bring in people that don't watch college basketball as much? I think it's right for this reason. They do it properly. They don't try to make Charles Barkley an expert on the eighth guy off the bench yeah. for Creighton. They joke about their lack of knowledge of some of these teams, but they're so good at just watching the games and seeing what's going on in the games while doing their a little bit of research that it comes across as very genuine and good because they can react to what's happening on the court Charles Barkley's done a great job throughout this tournament for that reason. The New York Times is standing by their report that Kai Spears was in the vehicle with Brandon Miller on the morning, the very early morning of January 15th, where the weapon was returned to the scene in Tuscaloosa uh, that ended up being a, a scene where a, a young woman lost her life. And two are charged with capital murder. Brandon Miller continues to play. And Kai Spears is in the news as of last week, despite the very swift and quick denial from multiple people involved with Spears, including himself, his father, the university, who says there was no other student athlete there whatsoever, and his attorney, Stephen P. New, who says he has definitive evidence to prove all this. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, Stephen. How are things? Uh, things are well. Thank you guys for having me on. So you, you can demonstrate how you know and can prove he was not there with Brandon Miller. Why haven't we seen this yet? My initial plan was to release that in litigation. Uh, if uh, it got to litigation, I was finally uh, contacted today by an assistant general counsel for the New York Times concerning this matter. But what I can tell you 
uh, is Kai Spears was back at Bryant Hall in his dorm room at the time of the incident in question with someone, uh, a friend of his who was spending the night. He had been out on the strip uh, the earlier part of the evening following the uh, win over LSU. Uh, so did those people who say, well, was Kai out or what have you? Yes, he had been out. He had gone to dinner. He had gone on the strip. But he was back in Bryant Hall at the time of the incident in question. We have alibis. We have his phone. And in addition, um, let me find the gentleman's name. My apologies. A witness in our case uh, will be. Uh, Tuscaloosa Deputy Chief Sanders Severn, who has agreed to be a witness in our case if it gets to that point, indicating that Kai, along with other members of the Alabama basketball team, were questioned, uh, released, and the, the police had definitively cleared Kai as having been present on the scene in the car or having anything whatsoever to do uh, with this tragedy. So he is, are, are you saying, and again, I'm, I'm reading into this. Are you saying he was with Brandon Miller at some point that evening and he did not return to that spot specifically when Miller did, or he just wasn't there when the incident took place? I don't know who he was with. So I don't know if Brandon Miller was at dinner where Kai had dinner. So don't hold me to who was part of Kai Spears and his friend's dinner party or anything like that. No, yeah, no doubt. I'm just trying to piece the timeline together. So what is so definitive from the New York Times standpoint on this, where not just one or two statements have been released on this, uh, but several on behalf of Kai that he wasn't there, including himself, but specifically you, the university says that not only was he not there, no other student athlete was there to their knowledge. And also, of course, his father. What is what's the what's the report leading you towards that's so definitive for the New York Times to say, you know what, we stand by this? From what my understanding, and and I don't know it for sure. Um, I think they wanted to get some kind of a jump the day before March Madness. They wanted clicks. Um, they wanted to shine some light on this. The a uh, reporter wanted uh, some shine, uh, some recognition, some notoriety. Uh, he did not have and does not have, cannot prove that Kai was in that car. The only thing that he has is some supposed anonymous source that places Kai Spears in the car. Um, we know for a fact, has been has been confirmed by the Tuscaloosa Police Force that Kai Spears was not, in fact, on the scene in the car or anywhere near the incident. So I'm no attorney. I, I don't claim to be. What would stop? Because we do know from the police report that there is an unnamed person in Brandon Miller's car that night when the incident takes place. What's to stop Alabama, the police, anyone from saying who that person is? That would, by your account, clear your attorney's name if they named who the person was? 
Well, I, I mean, that's for, uh, number one, it's still an ongoing criminal investigation. So maybe they need to keep uh, that individual's identity uh, concealed for the purposes of the ongoing investigation. Uh, I don't do criminal defense work. I'm typically a personal injury and wrongful death lawyer. Uh, but thinking about it from the standpoint of what might law enforcement be thinking, they may just be treating this as an ongoing investigation. I know that the University of Alabama's athletic department has said uh, this is an ongoing investigation. We're continuing to cooperate. Uh, so I think it may just be a situation where uh, it's a little bit premature. And then Alabama also has uh, some privacy concerns. Uh, there, there is such a thing as FERPA, uh, the, the Federal Education Records Protection Act. So uh, I also don't do higher education uh, education law, uh, aside from Title IX from here and there. Uh, but those could be some of the motivations for either the University of Alabama or law enforcement not releasing the identity of the supposed fourth student athlete. Yeah, I know you just talked with the co-counsel for the New York Times, so I'm, I'm not going to get into that specific conversation, but just in general, what constitutes libel? If, if legal action was taken, what constitutes libel on the New York Times side? It, it is the publishing of a knowingly false statement. And, and it's more than just uh, libel here, but also there are other causes of action like uh, false light invasion of privacy and some other things uh, that come to mind that the New York Times would not have First Amendment protections for. So it, it is the widespread publication of a known falsehood. And the only defense to that is truth. So unless the New York Times can prove that what the reporter reported was the truth, then the New York Times is liable. If they issued a retraction, if they came back after you and all sides of this from the Alabama side to Kai Spears' father at Marshall and everyone said he absolutely unequivocally was not there, if the New York Times came back and said, we retract this previous report, does that leave them more open to a lawsuit or less open to a lawsuit at that point if they come back with a retraction? Well, it's uh, part of what has already been, and within just a couple of hours of this report coming out, uh, the non-monetary aspects of what would help this entire situation. If the New York Times would issue an apology, a retraction, a correction of the story, but that's not the way this has gone. I spoke with this Mr. Witz on Thursday, and Witz doubled down and victim blamed. Witz actually said, well, then why did Kai Spears not tell me where he was? I didn't have any obligation to talk to you, New York Times reporter. He was doing what his athletic department asked him to do, which was to just offer a no comment, as did Christian Spears, when the New York Times reached out to Marshall's SID. It's a it's a back and forth, and 
that evening, it was early morning last week, whenever they came back and, and doubled back on the story and backed their reporter, I knew we were headed down a path of uh, certainly a lawsuit. But beyond that, if, if Spears is seeking damages for defamatory comments, uh, can you give us the timeline on that? And what are you seeking? Well, th there are damages. What I can tell you right now, uh, without divulging too much, is that ever since this story broke, uh, Kai has been the subject of uh, threats. Uh, he's, you know, obviously having to to talk to people, to counselors, things like that. Uh, and, and think about that for just a second. I have a 20 year old college sophomore, my beloved daughter, at the University of Kentucky. Uh, as the father of a college student, Kai Spears is 18 years old. He's a kid. And he walked on at Alabama and he earned a spot on a very good college basketball team. He should be having the time of his life right now, a magical run through the NCAA tournament. And he's, he has this hanging over him. And, uh, for the sake of a couple hundred thousand clicks and a couple hundred thousand views, Kai Spears was connected with a murder. And as we say in the legal field, you can't unring a bell. You can't cause people to unhear what they've heard. So that's just a, a very brief thumbnail sketch of the types of damages that we're going to be seeking in this case. I know that sources are protected legally in a lot of ways with reporting, but is there is there anything with a lawsuit or anything that would compel the New York Times or this reporter to turn over via a lawsuit how they had this information or where they got this? Is there is there any part of that where you could find that out in some sort of discovery? Well, for Mr. Witz, it's going to come down to, pardon me, Stephen, um, Stephen P. New, our guest, he's the attorney for Alabama's Kai Spears. Um, at a deposition, I would ask Mr. Witz uh, what his source was. And he can either protect that or we go back to court on a motion to compel discovery. And a federal judge is going to have to make a decision at that point as to whether or not to protect that source. If, if there is no retraction, are you seeking monetary damages? Even if there is a retraction, we're seeking monetary damages. The, the retraction and the apology are the non-monetary terms of any resolution of this. How did their general counsel take that? Uh, I'm waiting to hear back from uh, the general counsel and the deputy general counsel of the New York Times. What has Alabama been like to deal with, Stephen? You know, they're releasing several statements uh, through either their head coach or their AD. Um, from your stance and the job you're doing, are they easy to work with in this or hard? Uh, easy to work with. Well, on behalf of, uh, of Kai there, I mean, that's, that's good. Uh, I guess Brandon Miller could also confirm. Uh, who was in the car as well, um, if in fact... Yes. Is there video, is there clear video evidence that it's not Kai? Because I, we've heard that there's uh, multiple, there's a ring camera, there's also some other camera that the uh, one of the detec detectives in the hearing was referencing. I, I've not seen any video, so I don't want to comment on the video. 
uh, I just know that Deputy Chief Severn, and um, what he viewed and up to the point where he spoke with Kai was clear that Kai wasn't in the car present on the scene. Now, whether Detective Severn's uh, opinion is based on uh, video evidence, I'm not entirely sure. Is and there, I haven't seen it yet. Sorry about that. Is there any chance that the person that was in the car could testify on your behalf and on Kai's behalf in some lawsuit? If uh, Yeah, absolutely. If, if later it comes out who that supposed fourth person was, yeah, I, I could very much see uh, that fourth person being identified and then coming forth and saying, yeah, that, that was me, uh, not Kai. Stephen P. New has been our guest, the attorney for Alabama's Kai Spears, as the saga uh, with the, all the details over the last three or four weeks now. Uh, continue to play out in what happened on January 15th. Thank you for the time. We, we appreciate it. And if, as things develop, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll come back on with us and, and try to clarify some things. Sure. I would be happy to. I'll keep you guys up to date. Thank you so much. On behalf of Kai and Christian and Dr. Julia Spears, I appreciate you having me on. Yep, no doubt. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And he, uh, he put another uh, person on hold for us there. That's with good. the phone ringing. Well, very important. It could have been the uh, assistant counsel for the New York Times that he put on hold during that call. Chad, I, 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 so here's where I'm, I'm confused from the university standpoint, and he's representing his client. But as far as clarification, if Bama knows that there's no other student athlete, they didn't say basketball player, student athlete at the scene, why can't they clarify how they came to that, that realization, that fact, that to their knowledge, that's that's what was going on uh, with three members of the uh, student body and from the specifically the the athletic program were there from the team. Why can't they clarify who was in the car with Brandon Miller, who they allow to speak to the media on a weekly basis throughout this tournament? I I don't understand that aspect of it, or why you can't say, hey, uh, he wasn't there because he was here, and here's how we prove it. And it, to me, it's that simple. And it's even more telling that the New York Times is backing this story and saying they're standing by the report and they're just adding quotes in now as an update to the story. Yeah, no not, retraction there. They're not going to issue a retraction. And this could easily be solved if someone could produce who the passenger was. No one has really fully refuted. I, I, I know Mr. New at that one point said, well, if there's another passenger, that person could theoretically testify on our behalf if they were there. Yeah, right. And I keep thinking everyone else in this case has been named. Brandon Miller, who's not being charged with the crime, was named by the the police officer. Everybody had. Jaden Bradley has been named as someone that was there. But yet we still have this unnamed passenger in the car. Yeah, and that's in the the front seat of the car. Unnamed even during the original hearing. And I'm thinking, was was the passenger not 18? What is the protection that this unnamed passenger would get that's not being charged with a crime, by the way, that Brandon Miller wouldn't get, who's not being charged by a crime, that Jaden Bradley wouldn't get, that every other principal of this case that has been named by police officers, they're not getting that protection and not be named. I don't understand how this person remains a mystery. Especially considering where we are now compared to where we were at the end of last week with this. Right? Right. And, and you, you've got we, uh, uh, Glenn Gilbo's going up and discussing things with, with Billy... Uh, 
Pitts, who's got the story for the New York Times. But beyond that, uh, the four different statements made by Alabama, but still no just definitive evidence that says, yeah, here it is. Is TMZ going to get this video? And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but he didn't say that he was never in the car. That's what I was clarifying. That night, he was out he at one point. He can't say that he wasn't with Brandon Miller. He just knows based on he cell phone. He wasn't there at the time. Cell phone uh, data that he was not there at the time the incident went down. That's why I wanted to clarify if he was in the car to begin with, arriving, and then left because he wasn't there when the incident took place. That doesn't mean you didn't drive there with See, Brandon now, Miller. But he said he was not there at the time to arrive in the car with Brandon Miller when Miller returned. I want to go back and read the full New York Times report now. And I wonder if we're dealing with some some bit of semantics where they may have protected themselves by saying this was the passenger in the car with Brandon Miller but wasn't there at the scene because they did reference an unnamed passenger. And now maybe the attorney is saying, because no, not, not disputing that he was in the car at some point that night, but maybe he was dropped off right before. There's a lot of questions I have that could all could be clarified by someone producing the unnamed passenger right. and the identity of that person. And as we continue to discuss this, Alabama continues to win. Uh, and they're on their way to the Sweet Sixteen. The story's not going away. I look no. down on Twitter right now, and there's a story from the Boston Globe about Alabama's complicated run through March going back to the murder case. Hit us up with your thoughts. Outkick 360 on social, also on YouTube. You can join the chat there in real time. Coming up from Alabama to Arkansas, Musselman and the talent for the Razorbacks well, it's back. And now he's shirtless. It's next now, Kick360. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Andrew Brandt will join us from the front office of the Green Bay Packers. He's also been an agent. Now a media member and doing great things. Providing clarity, Chad. At least we'll try to with Andrew Brandt on Aaron Rodgers. We're doing a lot of that today with our lawyer that joined us. Got to really provide some clarity today. That's always helpful. So um, you said that that Angie was... That's a good name for a show, by the way. What? Providing clarity? Providing clarity. You said I would listen to that pod- podcast. Providing and- clarity with Hutton and Withrow. <laughs> And you're saying that Angie was a, uh, very clear on her stance with uh, Musselman. Could be a future podcast name. Yeah, and I'm getting blown up because she was uh, listening to the show and said, oh, no, you made me look bad by saying I didn't oh, like it. And I'm thinking, I didn't think that. No, I said, you are like the majority of non-Arkansas fans. I think most people oh. that I saw on social media didn't like it. So she's in the camp with most people out there. I don't care. I, I like the enthusiasm. I thought it was a little weird. You know, for a 58-year-old head coach to tear his shirt off in that moment. But that's also authentic to who he is. So I had no big issue with it. But I think a lot of people probably didn't love it. But look at Musselman. I mean, he shaved shaved his chest knowing that he was going to do this ahead of time. Or maybe he just has no chest hair. You know, there are people with no chest hair, Hud, like me. I just naturally don't have any chest hair. Wow. That's actually a thing that's out there. Yeah, Not a lot of arm hair either. What else, could, what else do you and Musselman have in common? It's not a, it's not a hairy guy. <laughs> uh, I, too, like to take off my shirt in celebration at times. I, I, I never coach in the NBA, so, so we don't have that going for us. You know who he reminds me of? I'm much moment? taller than he is. Dan Campbell. There's a Dan Campbell-esque quality to Eric Musselman here where I, I don't know if it, it carries over to the, the fan base, 
but the energy for sure would carry over to the locker room. And he told, he, I believe he was on with Jeff Goodman. Musselman told Jeff Goodman, he's like, a week before the SEC tournament, I came in and told my guys like, hey, if we, we have the chance to make a run. Record's not where we want it. We're starting to come together right now. If you go the proper route going into the SEC tournament, we can have some momentum and ride it all the way to a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. And here they are. And I think this is more about, and, and Kansas was banged up. They didn't have Bill Self, of course, too. I think this is more about the one seeds being closer to the middle of the pack than we've seen in recent years. Maybe I'm way off there. But when a 16's beating a one and another 15 seed is in the Sweet 16 for the third consecutive year, to me, the talent gap is closing. And I think in large part because we're seeing more of a senior-esque roster due to the extra COVID year or the portal. I, I think that all plays a factor. And I think we've seen it about as even as we've ever seen it to this point. And it, we saw that through the top 25, the top 10 all year with the AP rankings. Arkansas is a great example. I think this is the year where the most teams have a chance to win it all going into it that I can remember in quite some time. But I say that knowing that Alabama still looks like yeah. they are leaps and bounds better than everyone else. So I want to see Alabama at least challenged before really buying into that. But I think you're right. It's not as much as, boy, the 16 seeds this year are so much better. Fairly Dickinson was not a good team all year. They did not win their conference. They should not have been able to do this. I think it's more a byproduct of, like you said, the ones, twos, threes, and fours are really more like seven, eights, nine, tens, elevens this year when you look at it because there's just not a big difference between those teams yeah. and some of the teams in the middle of the bracket. And if you're looking, so now if I flip it and say a 16 seed beat a nine or 10 seed, that's not shocking. You know, you could see that happening where there's a six or seven difference in the seed line, right? That's where I think we are right now. Those ones and two seeds just aren't as good as they've been in the years yeah, past. And, and from a from a matchup standpoint, San Diego State and Bama. When Bama has lost this year, Chad, it's been to the more physical team. If you take it to them, you know we saw that from Tennessee. Arkansas is a good example too. If you take it to them, uh, they're going to struggle more than what you would expect on a nightly basis. That doesn't mean they're losing, but that gives you a chance. And San Diego State, they want it to be sloppy. I don't know if they can slow them down, but I mean, they're known for defense. We saw that with A&M, Tennessee, the, the more physical opponent beat Bama. I don't know if you can do that now because they're winning either way. If Miller even, you know, is a goose egg on the scoreboard sheet. I'm really interested to see those teams that like to, uh, as Tennessee put it, uh, bring you into the mud. Yeah. How they do now moving forward, San Diego state, Houston, Tennessee. I'm looking at those three teams because those are the, more of the bully ball type teams in terms of how they defend and how they value Man. defense during the game. And these teams we're going to see now go against some great offensive teams. Houston. They're going to put up a ton of threes and put up a, a ton of points. How can these teams that really hang their hat on defense withstand some of these offenses? Sasser and Shed went out for an extended period of time for Houston. And then they, re they took the lead from there. They actually gain momentum with those guys on the bench. That's that's a scary side Sasser for anyone. being back completely changes my mind on Houston. Yeah. I thought they were dead. I uh, thought uh. Auburn would beat them. They were down 10 at halftime. But then Marcus Sasser looks like Marcus Sasser all year. Had the groin pull in the semifinal of the AAC tournament. 
didn't play against Memphis, came out early in their first-round win, looked a little shaky early on, but then turned it on for Houston in this game. That is now a team that can win it all. I want if he's someone, fully healthy, they can win it all. I want a recording of whatever Kelvin Sampson said at halftime because Auburn had 41 points in the first half. In the second half, defensively, Houston held them to 16% shooting and 23 points. I think a lot of that, too, is Auburn not a great shooting team this year, not a great offensive team. I think but, they reverted to the mean uh, as much as Houston turned it up, and they did. They turned it up. Oof, Credit to them, but I think a lot it. of it, Auburn wasn't going to continue at that clip forever. The Aaron Rodgers decision and the trade. Andrew Brandt joins us next on Outkick 360. 